Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may attain and gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the price of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. How many times have you heard somebody bragging? We hear that all the time, don't we? People bragging, people saying that they have this or that that you don't have, or people claiming that they're better than you for some reason, for some accomplishment they have achieved, or maybe they're just bragging because they just beat you at something. And sometimes we're not great sports, right? We just go ahead and rub it in a little bit. Anything you can do, I can do better. That's kind of the feeling you get when somebody starts bragging. And when we brag, we're basically claiming that we have an advantage, that there's something that we possess that others don't have, something that we have that makes us somehow better or more special, somehow elevates us above them. In our scripture today, we find Paul sharing what would consider, be considered bragging. He begins to tell us about the advantages and the things that he has, the things that he enjoys for who he is and what he has accomplished. He has done things that others haven't done. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been shipwrecked, and there's so many things that he did that I never did. I mean, I've never been in jail like he was for, for the times that he was incarcerated. But he begins to brag, and I, wanna, I want you to see the seven things that he brags about. He says, the first one I'm going to brag about is, I'm a member of Israel. I was circumcised on the eighth day. 
You see, in order to be part of the covenant people of Israel, you had to be circumcised on the eighth day. That made you a full member of the covenant with God. That made you part of the people. That circumcision was assigned to everyone that you were an Israelite. And Paul says, I got that. Circumcised on the eighth day. I got that. And you see, his, the people he's talking to, if they haven't been circumcised, they can't go back to when they were eight days old to get circumcised. They can't do that. He's got something that basically he inherited, he got from his parents that he had no choice about. Trust me, he had no choice about. And it made him a part of the covenant people of Israel. So he says, that's a bragging point right there. Then he says, I am an Israelite through and through. I have all the benefits and all the responsibilities that come with being a member of Israel. Why? Because he says, I come from one of the best tribes in Israel, Benjamin tribe, one of the best. Do you know what made the Benjamin tribe one of the best? It was one of the two tribes that was set to continue to be faithful to the covenant of God when the other ten tribes kind of did their own thing and went away to do their own things and turned away from the covenant. One of the two tribes that kept being faithful, one of the tribes that had the best real estate in terms of the land allocated to it. So he says, hey, I'm a member of the Benjamin tribe. That was like saying, you know, I'm, I'm part of the, uh, you know, this club that is the most prestigious one. And he says, I'm a member of that tribe. And then he says, not only that, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews because both my parents are Hebrews. We have not contaminated our family line with any Gentiles. We have been Hebrews all the way back to Abraham. In Spanish, we have a phrase for that. It's called de pura cepa, which means of pure blood. He was basically saying, our family, we, we can trace our lineage all the way back to Abraham. We've always been Jewish. We've always been Israelites. And then he says, these four advantages make him special, but he didn't do anything to get them. These were what we call inherited advantages. These were given to him as a product of the family he was born in. He was born into these. If you think about your own experience, I'm sure you can think of things that you received in your life only by virtue of who your parents were and who your family was or where you were born or who was around when you were born. These things are things that Paul brags about, but he's aware that he didn't do anything to get them. They're inherited. The next three things, though, Paul mentions are advantages that he achieved. These are things that he did in his life. And the first one is that as to the law, he is a Pharisee. This means that he devoted himself to the study of the law of Moses, and he really did everything he could to become an expert in the law, to practice the law, to make sure that he did what the law dictated. This was Paul's choice. He could have joined one of the other groups, the Pharisees, the Essenes, some of the other groups were in Judaism, but he chose the Pharisees because he loved the law. He wanted to do what was right before God, and he saw the law as important in the covenant with the people of Israel. 
The second thing he brags about here in this category is that as far as zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. Now, you wouldn't think that that would be something to brag about. He was a persecutor of the church. Why would that be something to be proud of? He mentions it as something that is a bragging point because he was defending, as far as he was concerned, the Jewish faith. He saw Christianity as a threat, and therefore his persecution of the Christian church was, in his way, a devotion to God and to Judaism. He wanted to stop Christianity because he saw it as something that could, that could take over Judaism. And he was willing to do whatever it took to defend that faith. He was willing to put people in jail for that. He was willing to take them to be put to death for that because he felt that strongly about his faith. As to righteousness under the law, he says he's blameless. Now, that's a bold claim. How many of us go around going, you know what? I'm blameless. Blameless. As to the law, blameless. I get it always right. Down to the last sentence. What did he mean by this? He meant that as far as the Pharisaic interpretation of the law, which made the law into lists of things you had to do and not do, that he was blameless, that he checked that list off, that he did what the law commanded, that he would cross his T's and dot his I's when it came to following those rules, and that he was very careful not to break them. His devotion to the law showed that he really did love God because he was trying to do the right thing, even if it was for the wrong reasons. Have you ever met somebody who did the right things and then turned around to you to brag about how they did the right thing? And it kind of defeated the whole purpose of doing the right thing? That's kind of how Paul was when he is expressing this. He's basically saying, yeah, I'm blameless. What does that make the rest of us? Not good, right? Paul pointed out all of these things because according to the flesh, this would have been considered admirable by his fellow Jews. These are the kind of things that other Jews would have been like, wow, you really do come from good stock. You really are of a good family. You really are devoted to the faith. This is what we think about when we think of a devoted Jew. And you see, these things are all the things that the world would have celebrated back then. The, the Jewish world would have reveled under him and said, yep, yep, that's, that's all right, and that's exactly how everybody should do it. But after saying all of these lists of things that he could brag about, that supposedly, according to the flesh, would make him special and heads and above everybody else, you know, stand tall above everybody else. He says, I have come to regard all of these things, all of these things that everybody else thinks are so good and so important. I have come to regard all of these things as loss because of Christ. What Paul was saying is, I have found something better than all of these things. I have found something better than my own achievements. I have found something better than my earthly inheritance. I have found something better than the things that I can attain on my own. Therefore, Paul says, I regard all of these bragging points in the flesh as loss for the surpassing value 
of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. You know, for the sake of Jesus Christ, Paul was willing to suffer loss. And what that means is that he was willing to have other people look down at him because he gave up some of those things that used to make him important in people's eyes because he changed the way he lived his life to follow Jesus. We have to understand that this is a big change in Paul's life. Have you ever found yourself trying to please God through your actions? You're trying to get God's favor, so you're trying to do things and earn it and somehow deserve it. You've been trying to earn his love and make yourself worthy of his forgiveness. You see, in his old life, this is exactly how Paul lived. He was trying to earn grace, trying to make himself acceptable and holy through his actions, trying to prove himself through his accomplishments. And let me tell you, when you try to do that, it's exhausting. You get exhausted. It gets to the point that it just drains all the energy out of you, and it can be very discouraging. What Paul discovered is what you and I have come to discover as Christians. We please God through our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we don't have to earn his love because he already loves us, and he has already given us forgiveness in Jesus. We don't have to earn his grace because it's a free gift given to us. We prove ourselves before God through faithfulness, not necessarily through what we have to offer in terms of gifts or actions. Faithfulness. What kind of faithfulness? The faithfulness that we saw in Christ who was obedient unto death. The faithfulness that we saw in Christ when he stuck to the plan throughout his life, even though things got really difficult. The faithfulness that we saw in Jesus when he decided that he would liberate us from our sin by being the perfect sacrifice on the cross. You and I live differently, not to earn salvation, but because we are saved. We don't do it to earn it. We do it because God has already given it to us in Christ, and we are so grateful for his forgiveness. We seek holiness not as a way to justify ourselves, but because Jesus has already justified us, and we want to be more like him. We want to be more like Jesus every day. We love God because he loved us first. Paul's conclusion is that when he considered all that he used to brag about, when he considers this whole list of things that used to make him important, it all pales in comparison to what he has gained by knowing that Jesus is his Lord and Savior. When you come to that realization of how amazing Jesus is and all that he has done for us, you want to let go of all the other things that used to seem important or valuable. You realize that what you have is so much better than anything you could inherit or accomplish on your own. 
Paul had tried it that way. He had tried to do it on his own through the law. He had tried it and he had found that his own righteousness was never enough to satisfy a holy and perfect God. And he finally says in these verses that he wants to be found righteous only through the righteousness of Jesus. That he wants to know the full power of his resurrection by sharing in his suffering and becoming like him in his death. What does Paul mean by that? He means he wants to be like Jesus when he went to the cross where he was able to love his enemies even as they put him to death. He wants to be like Jesus and being able to forgive those who hurt him even as they were doing it. He wants to be able to be like Jesus that regardless of how hard or difficult life may get, he doesn't quit but continues to go forward moved by God's love. In this time of pandemic, we might not have all the answers. There might be a lot of things that we don't know or understand. Times in which we don't think things are going to work out the way we want them to. And yet we know, as Paul did, that the most important thing at this time and at all times is to remain faithful, to continue to pursue Christ and his righteousness, to never give up. Paul never did anything halfway. He just didn't know how. He had two settings, off and full throttle. And so when Jesus got to him on that road to Damascus and called him to be a Christian, we find Paul willing to give it all up so that Jesus could be glorified through him by reaching the Gentiles. He was all in, folks. He didn't hold anything back. He was willing to be seen by others as a failure. He was willing to give up his status. He was willing to give up his prestige. He was willing to be seen as a failure by those in the flesh in order to be successful in the spirit. How many of us are willing to do that? to really be seen as successful in the spirit, but a failure in the flesh. You would think after saying all this, Paul would now brag about how spiritual he was because he was pursuing Christ. But instead, what we find is a Paul that is humble enough to admit that he has not arrived yet not that I have already obtained it, he says. Not that I am there yet, but rather that I am on my way there. I haven't already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And because Jesus has made me his own, I press on. I don't give up. I don't let go. I don't stop running the good race. I don't stop fighting the good fight. So what do I do? He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the price of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is don't focus on your past, on your past mistakes, on your past regrets, on your past difficulties. 
Focus on the future of where God is leading you or where God is calling you and continue to run the race with your eyes on Jesus who has already run ahead of you and shown you the way and yet at the same time runs with you. How beautiful is that? Jesus not only ran the race before us to show us the way, he then runs with us through the Holy Spirit in the race so that we're never alone as we run this race of life. There's two things I want you to take away with you from this message today. First of all, I want you to know that your confidence does not come from the flesh. It is not found in what you have inherited or what you have accomplished. Find your confidence in the fact that you know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Find your confidence in the fact that you are saved and forgiven and redeemed and saved in Jesus Christ. Find your confident, confidence in the fact that heaven is reserved for you. The second thing I want you to remember is that we aren't there yet, but we are on the way. Like I was explaining in the children's message, we don't just want to begin the race. We want to finish the race. We want to cross the finish line. And that requires us to recognize that we are still in the race, that we have to continue to move forward, leaving the past behind, that we need to embrace the promises of Jesus for our lives, and that we need to let this hope carry us forward and never give up. This service today, for me, is one of those things that is moving me forward. Because having the streaming service means that we are one step closer to public worship. One step closer to being able to have people worshiping God in this sanctuary, in God's house. And it is also a sign of hope. Hope that we will once again be able to fully be the body of Christ together as we reach out to the world to let them know of Jesus Christ and his love. I pray that you keep on going on and that you never quit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody that has heard this message and this worship today. Everybody that has been able to partake of communion to declare that they are part of the body of Christ. Today, I just want you to empower those who are struggling in their race, that you will encourage them through your Holy Spirit, that you will reach out to them and lift them up if they have fallen down, that you will continue, O oh Lord, to be the refreshment that they need so that they can continue and cross that finish line. We thank you, Lord, that we are one step closer to being able to reopen the church. And we ask, O oh Lord, for your blessing upon everybody, O oh Lord, as we continue to fight COVID. We ask, O oh Lord, for healing for all those who are sick. We ask for comfort for those who have lost loved ones. And we ask for wisdom for all of our elected officials as they continue to set policy and guide us in the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.